Well, good morning. We are in the last week of a series called Making Love Stick, and we've been looking into the Bible to see what God has to say about love and how we can make it last year after year after year. And if you've been here for the whole series, maybe you're surprised at how relevant the Bible can be at each point in our lives. Whether you're in a marriage, uh, just got, just for some reason the marriage ended, or you're not in a relationship and you hope to be in one, you can still open up God's Word and find relevant teachings to apply to where you are today. That's the reason we give out Bibles every week at LifePoint, because we believe the words in there are true. And if you read them and obey them, they'll lead you into what it lead you into the knowledge of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There are some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one that's yours to keep if you want to. If you'd like to give it back, there's a table to put that on on the way out. But you can read along with me, or you can look on the screen as I read from a couple of scriptures to see what God has to say about love as we wind up this series called Making Love Stick. You know, in that book, Jesus said that he's giving us a new command, and that new command was love one another. And what made it new, the way Jesus explained it in the first century sitting around with his disciples, is that he changed love from a noun, this thing that we feel, to a verb, an action. And we found out in the first week of this series, don't just, don't just say you love, don't just say you love me, show me. Real love, love that sticks, is a verb. And if we want to know more about this love that sticks, we need to look at the greatest example of love, and that's Jesus Christ and the way he submitted himself to the world so the world could be forgiven. And if we're going to have a love that lasts, we've got to learn to put the other person first. And last week, our youth pastor talked to us. Remember Mr. and Mrs. Mug, if you were here last week? This is Mr. and Mrs. Mug, and Mr. and Mrs. Mug... Uh, got married, and they each brought baggage into the marriage. Go figure. I mean, they, they, they get together, and each of them have this past and, and this upbringing, and, and they come into the marriage with baggage and just bring all that stuff into the relationship. And then when they get in the relationship and they have a disagreement and they start butting heads, then guess what? All that stuff that's deep down inside finally comes out, and then it's like, oh, no, what are we going to do? So what does love do when you find out that on a certain topic, maybe you're way over at one place and your spouse or this person you're in love with is totally on the other side of the world when it comes to a particular action or behavior or topic? Can love last through these huge disagreements? Because that's where love is determined. I mean, when everything's great and you agree on everything, love is just wonderful. It's perfect. It's going to just last forever. But what happens when you discover that if you have this huge difference of understanding when it comes to the world. Take a look at this couple on the screen and see how they dealt with or how they confronted this difference of understanding about something and discovered this gap that they had. Take a look. All right. In here. Great news, my little chickie. Turns out Deke is not cheating with that woman. What? What do you mean? Just what I said. He's not cheating. He's had as much sex with her as I've had with your dad. And that's none. But you saw them in the restaurant together. I mean, if they weren't having an affair, what was going on? Well, they just meet for dinner, they eat, they talk, they connect. And does Kelly know? 
No. Then he's still cheating. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Doug, the man is lying to his wife, sneaking around with another woman, sharing intimate feelings. That is cheating. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, you gotta be naked to cheat. Wrong. So you're telling me if I met a woman and we went out for a dinner or two and then say I forgot to tell you about it, right? I would be cheating. Yes. Really? And that would be just as bad as if I actually slept with her? Yes. Good to know. That's great. That's really great, Doug. Make your stupid little jokes, but I gotta tell you, I am stunned that on something as important as the meaning of marriage and commitment that we would be so far apart. Yeah, well, we are, my friend. You're way over there and I'm way over here. I do. <laughs> oh, shut up. I'll get it. What do you want for dinner? I don't care. All right, so what do you do when you find out that you and the person you're madly in love with are at opposite ends of the spectrum on something? How do you deal with that? How does a relationship get through a misunderstanding and a complete disagreement on how things should be? Without even considering who's right and who's wrong, just how do you get through it? How do you make love stick in the face of disagreements, in the face of misunderstandings, in the face of what one person expects doesn't get fulfilled. How do you do that? Well, if you want to use the Bible as your guide, and you should, there's a chapter in the Bible that's probably been read at every Christian uh, Protestant wedding that's ever taken place. And it comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, written by the Apostle Paul, and he has some advice about love. And he gives us advice about what love really is. And you've probably heard this read many times. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 4, it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not self-seeking. It's not rude. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Now that makes perfect sense that love wouldn't be rude and love would be patient and love would always be kind and, and love should keep no record of wrong. So wherever that file cabinet is in your mind or in you know, reality of the things the other person has always done wrong, well, if it's really love, love doesn't do that. Meaning love just forgives and goes on and just doesn't hold a grudge. That makes sense that that's how love should be. But then Paul goes on to talk about love in a way that, that really seems unrealistic. I mean, there are words in the Bible. They were written thousands, a couple thousand years ago. But is it realistic to think that what he's about to say in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 13 is even possible? He goes on to say, love, referring to love. He says, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Is it possible for love to always be those things? Some translations say, love believes all things. And you might think, well, I tried that. I tried protecting and trusting and hoping and persevering. I gave it a shot, and it didn't work. So is the Bible really saying that 
all the time, 100% of the time. It should always be this way. And when it's not, you're not doing what you ought to be doing. Is, are these words here to make us feel guilty? When it seems impossible that love can always be those things. I mean, as a pastor, I've even looked someone in the eye and said, look, I, I, don't, I, I think it's time you draw the line. I think it's time you say, look, it's over if you don't. And, and it's time to stop and, and quit taking that. And I mean, e- even people who would say they're Christian counselors would say there is a time when a line is drawn and the relationship has to end. But then you read the Bible and it says, no, 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 no. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes. And always perseveres. Well, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is, he, he just said to them, that this church in a town called Corinth, he just said, let me, let me teach you about the most excellent way. Because people had been fighting about a few things. They've been selfish about some things, trying to lift themselves up and say, hey, I've got this gift and you don't and I'm better and I'm, God loves me more. And he says, Paul says, whoa, hold on. Let me, let me teach you the most excellent way. And then he says all those things about love that I just read. He even goes as far as to say, right before he said this, you can do everything. You can can give your life. You can give every penny you have to the poor. But if it's not motivated by love, it means nothing. So he's wrapping this whole argument of, hey, love is where it's at. Love is everything. And this is what love is supposed to look like. Now, if you're sitting here today going, I'm not married, I, I, you know, I'm not even dating anybody, so how am I supposed to get something out of this? Just stick with me because what, what I'm going to talk about, it's revolutionary for all relationships. The advice I'm going to give you today from 1 Corinthians 13 is way beyond just husband and wife relationships. So those notes that you have in your program, that just a blank sheet of paper, take those and and maybe turn it on its side. And I want you to write two things on those notes. One on the left column and one on the right column. Right, left side, one on the right side. And leave a big blank in the middle. So on the left side, when you go into a relationship, we all have what we want, right? This is what I want out of this relationship, my, my expectations. So write down what I want. You know, I want him to be 6'2". I want her to have beautiful blonde hair, blue eyes, whatever. Whatever you're thinking, write what I want. Don't write what you want down. Just write down what I want. It's not, it's not marriage counseling. This is just talking from Scripture. So write down what you want, or the words what I want, and then leave a big blank, and then over to the other side, write down what I get. And in the middle, there should be this big bunch of white where there's nothing. Because there is a difference in relationships between what we want and what we get. Just think about the marriage relationship for a moment. Oop, wrong side. What I want and what I get. So here are my expectations and here's the behavior. Now I have to give a disclaimer because in the first service I'm going to say some things about marriage and, and Cinda comes up to me, my wife, and she goes, Say that you're not talking about us. People think you're talking about us if you don't say it. So this is in no way a reflection on my wonderful, perfect wife, nor her wonderful, perfect husband, okay? In no way. So this is just examples I'm pulling out of my head, not out of my life. Okay, there we go. How'd I do, honey? Was that good? I, evidently, I said stupid a couple times, and she's like, people are going to think you call me stupid or I call you stupid. We don't. We don't say that word. So here we go. You get, 
what you want, and you, you say what you want, and then it's what you get. There's a big difference. Like, I want him to put the toilet seat down when he's done with it. I want him to pick up his dirty clothes. I want her to have dinner on the table the moment I walk in the door. I want her to, you know, be uh, make advances towards me. And then, there's what you get. You, you, you get the toilet seat up, and you know, so in the middle of the night, you, go, you think you're going to the bathroom, you go for a swim, you know. <laughs> you, you, you th- what you want is for him to do what he says he's going to do. Be home when he says he's going to be home. And what you get is cold dinner on the table, kids already in bed, and then he shows up. What you want is for her to do certain things in a certain way, but what you get, nah, the behavior doesn't match what you wanted. This is where love really starts to be defined in a relationship. Because in this gap between what you want, your expectations, and what you get, behavior, you have a decision to make. Because more often than not, those things are not going to be the same. So what are you going to do? Well, you have a choice. You either, when he doesn't do what you want or she doesn't do what you want, and you get a behavior that you didn't want, well, you you got a choice. You can just assume the worst. He's just a complete idiot. She's insensitive. She doesn't really care about me. She doesn't care about my feelings. Or you can make another choice. You can believe the best. So in that gap that exists between what you want and what you get, your expectations and the behavior, how do you react? What do you say? What do you feel? Because there's a couple things in all of our lives that determine what goes in this gap. Well, what you see. I mean, whatever you see happen determines what's in this gap. He's late again. He didn't tell me the truth. She didn't get the bill paid that she was supposed to get paid on time. And now we have interest charges. I mean, you see it. So that determines what goes in there because, hey, you're messing up again. I mean, when... When you assume the worst in here, in this gap, you get to be right a lot because, hey, maybe she didn't pay the bill because she just forgot. Maybe she's trying to, you know, get you to get get a little bit excited about something. Maybe he's late because he can't stand coming home to somebody. Nag, 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 nag. Maybe. I mean, that's so what you see is what goes, is determined sometimes what goes in the gap. Also, who you are. All of the, 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 The stuff that happened in your life up until the point you have the conflict or up until the point where expectations and behaviors aren't coming together. Who you are and what you've experienced up to this point in life determines what goes in the gap. Maybe you grew up in a family that when there was conflict, nobody talked about it. You just don't talk about it. If we don't talk about it, it'll go away. People forget about it in a few weeks and we'll just have the silent treatment until that happens. And and that's the way we handle conflict. That sometimes determines what goes in the gap between expectations and behavior. Or maybe you grew up in a family that when there was conflict, it was like, hey, look me in the eye and tell me what the heck is going on. We're going to deal with this. We're going to deal with it right now. So when two people, one who grew up in a family that never talked about anything and one who grew up in a family that seems to talk about everything over and over again, get together and get married. This is what we talked about last week. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Mug get together. They're, They're married. And then they just start... Man, when they start butting heads, then all this stuff that's down inside starts to come out. And who you are really surfaces when you're disappointed, 
When your expectations aren't met, when you're angry, the person you really are just starts to come to the top and it boils over and it boils out and then you have a decision to make. How am I going to handle this person not meeting my expectations? Jesus said, when referring to what's down inside of us in the book of Matthew chapter 12, he says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Oh, honey, I don't know what made me say that. I'm so sorry. I, I, can't believe, I can't believe I said that. Where did that come from? It came from deep inside your heart. And then what happened? Somebody didn't meet your expectations. Their behavior was different. Your guard fell down. And then whatever's inside just blah, 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 you know, comes out in an argument. And now what have you done with the gap? You have assumed the worst. He's an idiot. She's insensitive. Just assume the worst because that's how you've handled things and you've got this baggage you never dealt with, so you feel, fill the gap with assuming the worst. Now, you might be saying, you don't understand. You do not understand. You, you just don't know how things are at my house. I mean, I tried, to, I tried to believe the best, but he really is that bad. She really is that big of a pain. I tried. Assuming the worst destroys relationships. In a book called We Can Work It Out, the authors refer to this idea of hot thoughts. Now get your mind out of the gutter. It's not that. It's hot, hot thoughts. And when they're talking about hot thoughts, they're talking about things like, he's so insensitive, she's so controlling, I don't get any respect around here. They're impossible to deal with. Those are hot thoughts. And here's what they say about hot thoughts. Research clearly shows that hot thoughts lead to feelings of hopelessness, anger, resentment, and even depression. Hot thoughts also lead directly to destructive communication patterns. They make you likely to criticize your partner, and because of these kind of behaviors tend to elicit replies in kind from your partner. You yell at me, I'm going to yell at you. You find yourself in the middle of an argument that confirms your worst thoughts. Hot thoughts lead to actions that increase the chance of conflict and conflict provides energy for more hot thoughts. It's just a vicious cycle. You know, you were rude to my mother. Your mother is terrible. You, you didn't do this. Well, but you didn't do that. Those are hot thoughts, and it just keeps going over and over again. So you have to determine in your mind, how am I going to react when my expectations are not met? Now, this is not just for married people. I mean, this... This is for if you have a friend that, that you expect something, they let you down, you have to determine, what am I going to put in that gap that exists between what I wanted and what I got? Kids, when your parents say, you can't or you need to do this, and you're like, they just hate me. They just want my life to be miserable. They, they just get, my mom and dad are the worst people in the world. Why not? Instead of... Just thinking the worst. and it just, well, How about turn it around and say, well, you know, maybe my parents love me. And maybe my parents want what's best for me. And watch how that changes the whole dynamic of the relationship. Now, parents, it also means we have to do the same thing. We have to believe the best about our kids. Ten minutes late doesn't mean they're into something they shouldn't be into. Doing, doing poorly on a test in school doesn't mean, well, you didn't try, you didn't study. How about, hey, I've tried really hard, I've studied really hard, and I just, I just can't do it. I'm just not getting it. Maybe I need a little more help, mom, dad. 
So you can see how when you assume the worst, it destroys relationships. So where do you naturally go when there's a gap? Believing the best, though, if you, if you normally assume the worst, believing the best causes love to stick. There's a management business author named Marcus Buckingham. He's written several books, great management business and organizational leadership books. But there's a lot of spiritual undertones in what he writes. In one of his books called The One Thing You Need to Know, he starts out the book talking about this research that they did on married couples who stayed married for long periods of time, 20 years, 30 years plus, How did they get along? How did they interact? What happened when this couple had big disagreements? So they assumed going into this, before they ever did the research, they assumed that a couple that had been married several decades and got along really well, they assumed that they understood each other extremely well, that they didn't have that many disagreements, and they they always understood and could understand. In other words, if they would have heard this, they would have assumed that these were really close together, that there's no big gap. But what they found out was just the opposite. That couples who stay together longer and and are in happy marriages doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have a gap. When they surveyed the couples and they would say, rate your spouse on whatever topic. Consistently, one spouse would rate the other spouse higher than the spouse rated themselves. So when it comes to temper, maybe, maybe she would say, Oh, he, he doesn't have a temper. We'll, we'll put him at a nine on losing his temper. And he's like, I'm like a two. So the, the one spouse believed better about the other spouse than the spouse believed about themselves, proving the fact that it, love is a little blind. That, that you, you, they're just things you ignore, things that you don't pay attention to. And true love, it's a little blind. And you might think, no, no, love's not blind. That's ridiculous. Think about when you first fell in love. Could that person have done anything wrong? Oh, you're late. No problem, honey. You're just, you're nice. I'm wanting to get to know you so you can be 10 minutes late. No big deal. I mean, love is blind at first, right? When it's all first starting up and all those big feelings are there. Here's what the people in this research project did. They found the most generous explanation as to why the other person didn't meet their expectations, and they believed it. So they chose to fill the gap with believing the best. So when you believe the best, here's what happens. It builds trust in a relationship. It puts trust deposits in that relationship when you're believing the best about the other person. It builds margin for mistakes and errors in a marriage when you consistently believe the best. And you consistently say, well, there must be a reason. There, you know, maybe, maybe he was in a big hurry. Maybe he got delayed at work for totally legitimate reasons. Maybe this, maybe that. But when you assume the worst, I can't believe you did that again. I knew you couldn't do it. I, I knew you couldn't get those bills paid on time. Let me have the checkbook back. I, I knew we couldn't put all of our money together in the same account and you do it. I just knew it. So when you assume the worst, you just open up the door. For a wedge to be driven in to a relationship that could have otherwise been very healthy if you just believed the best about the other person. So with this gap, you have a choice. What am I going to put there? Assuming the worst or believing the best? 
Because this gap exists for everybody because we're all imperfect. I mean, you may think you're perfect and the other person's not, but the truth is there are two imperfect people in every relationship, and that's both of you. So what are these two imperfect people going to do? Well, if you fill this gap one way, it's going to drive you apart. If you fill it the other way, believing the best, it's going to pull you closer and closer together because we're wired up by God in a way that our hearts are naturally attracted to environments where we are accepted. God made us that way. Why would you be attracted to an environment where nobody accepted you? If you had a group of friends and they, they made fun of you all the time and they yelled at you all the time, and I mean, would you want to go to that? No. So if you believe the best, and so when you come home, there's really something great to come home to, you're going to want to come home. You're going to want to be on time. You're going to want to do things to please the other person. But if somebody always assumes the worst about you, and you always feel beaten down, you always feel criticized, why would you want to continue to foster a relationship in an environment like that? Just believe the best about the other person. Now, with that in mind about what we want versus what we get, our expectations versus the behavior, let me read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 again. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. If you follow that model for love, your relationships will be healthier and stickier. You'll, you'll be able to, to enjoy a height of a relationship you never could otherwise if you didn't listen to 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Print it out, laminate it, put it somewhere where you can both see it. And when your expectations aren't met, and they won't be, when it's something as simple as the socks left where they're not supposed to be, or the dinner not on the table when you wanted it, then you can say, you know what, love protects and trusts and hopes and perseveres. And I'm just going to believe the best about the other person. See, this picture of expectations versus behavior, you know what this is also a picture of? The good news of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. While we were still a long way away from God, He still acted on our behalf. While we were still not meeting his expectations, what did he do? He believed the best about, it, best about us and gave his son for us. God is an optimist. So when God sees you, he says, you know what? They're going to be able to put down that bottle. They're going to be able to break that addiction. They're going to be able to get it together relationally. I just know it because I created them to live with other people in, in healthy relationships. And God believes the best about you. God believes in you. And if we're ever going to make love stick in any relationship in our life, the foundation of that relationship has to come from an understanding that we were created by a gracious, optimistic, forgiving God 
who did not get his expectations met, our behavior was far removed from his expectations, but he still believes the best about us, and that's what he wants us to do with other people when we're in a love relationship, and that's what will make love stick year after year. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your example of what it means for love to stick. And God, for the people in this room right now that are in a relationship and they're struggling, Father, I pray that you would give them the courage to see the best in the other person. And God, for the people who have done that year after year and it still didn't work, I pray you would let them feel your grace, your love, and your forgiveness. God, help us to live out the words in 1 Corinthians 13. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.